else who finds himself drowning in a bucket of cream has two choices. Drown or fight so hard he churns that cream into butter. And simply climbs out. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. And uh, on the live link right now, we have a special guest. Uh, Ian R. Crane is joining us and is uh, going to give us an update on a very important story. This is the story of uh, David Noakes and his partner, Lynn Thayer. And I, I think the easiest way to describe this is they're being persecuted by the pharmaceutical industry by government uh for the work that they're doing they've been dedicated to helping cancer sufferers for many years and so for this the full weight of the system has been dropped down on them and uh, we're reaching a critical impasse right now and ian's going to hopefully explain to us uh, what this story is all about uh, hello ian crane Hi, Patrick and Mike. How are you guys doing? We're great. We're great. Thanks for joining us, Ian. And uh, we were talking about uh, David Noakes and uh, his partner, Lynn Thayer, made a very passionate presentation at AV10 last week. If anybody was there who's listening, uh, you will you know what we're talking about. Uh, it was very emotional, as was this the presentation and their, and their address last year as well. But but this is particularly critical now, Ian, uh, if you can just explain to us uh, about what's going on with these two individuals. Okay, well, um, David and Lynn um, developed uh, GC Math, which is a proven, extremely effective cancer treatment and, uh, you know, up to and including cure. Uh, which, of course, is illegal to uh, claim in the UK thanks to the 1939 Cancer Act, which was put in place to protect the uh, radium industry. And, and as I'm sure many of your listeners will be uh, aware, um, you know, the only uh, orthodox cures, and I use that term very loosely for cancer, is radiotherapy or chemotherapy, and you know, uh, the combination of which have an efficacy of 2.7%. So, you know, the likelihood is if you do have to go down the uh, chemo stroke radiotherapy path, then, you know, if the cancer doesn't get you, then the uh, the treatment will. And GCMAF has been around actually since the uh, late 1980s, early 1990s. There's multiple papers that have been written on the subject, uh, published on PubMed, which is the uh, U.S. Library of uh, Medical Publications. And uh, David um, at, at was uh, formerly working in the banking industry. You know, he was um, uh, pretty well off. And he went to a presentation at Ghent University where uh, uh, the speaker there happened to mention GC Math being a cancer cure. And uh, David went away and did his own research and was shocked to find that, yep, all the information said that this was a very effective cancer treatment, but nobody had ever heard of it. So uh, serendipity kicked in. Um, because literally a few weeks later, he met Lynn Tyre, who uh, was a biochemist working with the NHS, and he asked her what she knew about GCMF, and of course she'd never heard of it. But anyway, between the two of them, they decided that what they'd read and studied about GCMF, it was something that they had to bring 
uh, to the market and uh, make available for cancer sufferers, which they did. And for a few years, they were producing it um, and uh, you know selling it to clinics and, and doctors primarily. But they were also treating 141 people on the island of Guernsey uh, in the English Channel. And they were treating those people for free. Um, one of their biggest clients actually in the U.S. was a gentleman by the name of Dr. Jeffrey Bradstreet. And it emerged in the court hearing that uh, Bradstreet had purchased over a million dollars worth of uh, GCMAF uh, from David and Lynn. Uh, it also emerged in the court hearing that uh, David and Lynn had provided something in the region of about 20% of the product free so that Bradstreet could um, uh, you provide it to those families who perhaps could ill afford it. Now, what's interesting here, Patrick, is that um, Jeffrey Bradstreet wasn't actually using the GCMAF to treat cancer. He was treating autism with it. And, I mean, you know, for a lot of people, this is going to sound outrageous. And even David said that, you know, GCMAF hadn't been developed to treat autism. But Bradstreet said that it was having remarkable effects, even getting um, adolescents back into school who were effectively uh, unschoolable because of their behavior. Anyway, um, David and Lynn's uh, effort to bring this product, not just to market, but also try to get it into the NHS. Uh, in the National Health Service in England, thereby, you know, potentially saving, um, you know, 140 odd thousand lives uh, a year. But um, instead of being welcomed with open arms, the uh, MHRA, which is the Medicines and Healthcare Regulatory Agency, the equivalent of the uh, FDA in the UK, uh, but they're effectively henchmen for Big Pharma. And instead of embracing this... Uh, they shut it down and they raided David's facilities in the UK, um, uh, confiscated all of the product, impounded the laboratories and froze all of David's assets. And then literally uh, a day or so later, uh, on the instruction of the MHRA, the FDA raided the premises of Jeffrey Bradstreet in the US. And of course, uh, a day or so after his premises were raided, he was found face down in a river in South Carolina with a bullet wound to the chest, which was declared to be a suicide. So since then, this is now uh, four years ago, David and, and Lynn have effectively been held, well, they had to put their lives on hold because they were held on bail. And uh, when they spoke at AV9 last year, the court hearing was scheduled for September. Well, the MHRA and um, the Crown Prosecution Service bullied David and Lynn, and they persuaded David that if he pleaded guilty, then they wouldn't charge Lynn. And David, obviously looking to protect Lynn, ended up pleading guilty. And uh, that led to a, a hearing in the court because the judge wanted to hear potential mitigation. But, uh, of course, um, you know, th there were some devious tactics at play here because although Lynn wasn't charged in the UK, the French issued... And, uh, a European arrest warrant for her and um, David was sentenced to 15 months jail in November of which he served five months he's now out of jail but on tag and, and under curfew um, <clears throat> meanwhile Lynn was facing extradition proceedings and in the final appeal hearing which I attended and let me let me make it clear that the evidence that I heard, well, there was no evidence. Basically, it was just simply a case of, look, we want her um, extradited to France. 
And Judge Michael Supperstone um, demonstrated that you know, he is nothing more than an outright whore to the corporatocracy because he should have, at that the second hearing, he should have ruled that there was no grounds for extradition, period. But I, and I knew something was and he said he would make a written ruling. And unfortunately, literally, um, um, a Friday week ago, uh, the day after Lynn had uh, had the trauma of uh, burying her father, who had died the previous week, Lynn received written notification from uh, Judge Supperstone that he had decreed that she should be extradited to France. And, and that extradition is due to take place this coming Wednesday. So we are down to the wire now. And obviously there's a few things going on in the background to, to see what can be done to prevent this. But this is a travesty because here we have two people that devoted their uh, their later lives, because David's 66 and you know, Lynn's a few years younger, but they devoted their later lives to try and um, provide this treatment for people uh, as, uh, as, as, a, as reasonably priced as possible and free wherever possible. And, and now they have been brutally persecuted by a complicit state on behalf of Big Pharma. Mm. And, and tell us, Ian, what is the, what is the French government's grounds for uh, wanting to extradite uh, Lynn Tyre? Is it uh, because that uh, she developed a product on French soil? Uh, is the business is there a business base there? Uh, what is there? What's the basis of their complaint? Well, that's a very good question because basically, and this is where Supperstone um, really you know was out of order because. He, he acknowledged that the arrest warrant did not have any grounds. It didn't have anything that should could lead him to um, rule to extradite her. So he actually gave the prosecuting barrister seven days to come up with the grounds as to why she should be extradited. Uh, and basically, they didn't really come up with anything other than the fact that she has a house in it or had a house in front. Um, you know, now, they did have there was a distribution uh, facility in France for uh, GCMAF, but um, you know it, it had nothing at all to do with Lynn. It was simply a case of they had blackmailed David to plead guilty because they didn't want a jury trial because a jury might have actually uh, decided in favour of humanity as opposed to the corporatocracy. So they didn't want a jury trial, so they literally uh, um, browbeat and bullied David until he agreed to plead guilty on in return for Lynn not being charged. Um, and then, of course, the French issue their charge. And, and it is a total construct. And, of course, if, if Lynn is extradited, then she would be regarded as a flight risk. And she would immediately go into remand. And, you know, the with the current situation in France, the jails are filled to overflowing. And the likelihood is that she would be held on remand for, you know, two plus years. And I think, uh, and by the way, David's not out of the woods here because... Uh, now that David's out of jail, the extradition proceedings are commencing for him. So there's no such thing as you know double jeopardy anymore. The double jeopardy laws were rewritten a few years ago, and and even Brexit won't help because Theresa May has decreed that even after Brexit, European arrest warrants will still be um, honoured and upheld. So there are no solid grounds whatsoever for Lynn being extradited. The the sole intention here is uh, using the MHRA and OSILEP, the French equivalent, to ensure that these two amazing people never have the opportunity to re-establish their 
facilities to produce GC math and thereby give people who have literally been condemned by the medical industry uh, a chance of life. Because, you know, David and Lynn both have acknowledged that uh, GC math was, you know, extremely effective for people who had been, you know, declared to have stage four cancer and, and basically told to get their affairs in order. And, and this is one of the reasons why the, the, the hearings or the chart trials were delayed for so long, because the establishment and Big Pharma needed to try and ensure that everybody who had benefited from GCMath, once it was withdrawn, uh, subsequently died. Um, Ian, uh, I think it's important perhaps just to let people know that GCMath, of course, is a, a, a protein which is uh, produced naturally by the body in a healthy body uh, and that in fact what they were doing uh, was was uh, ma- producing this in a laboratory to to, to supplement uh, people who really uh, weren't pr- no longer for whatever reason were no longer uh, suppressed immune system whatever were, were no longer producing GC, GC math naturally um, and so uh, you know I, I sort of question it, it being classed as a medicine in the first place well, it wasn't actually. It was actually. It was initially. Um, I think regarded as almost like a, just a supplement. Um, uh, but it, it was the MHRA who decided to classify it as a medicine. Uh, and basically, if you make any health claims about anything, then the MHRA uh, try and classify it as, as a medicine. I mean, actually, it's pretty amazing that things like garlic are still allowed to be sold in supermarkets, considering that you know a lot of people consider garlic to have um you know significant uh, regenerative properties um you know for for poor health and you're absolutely right mike it is a, a natural protein developed in the body and you know and what came out in the court hearing was the the observation that you know everybody has cancer in them in some way shape or form um but it is the body's natural immune system that that fights it but unfortunately, when that immune system is compromised, then, you know, it, it needs to be restored. And, and GCMath is effectively the ingredient that once, it, um, uh, once it's reintroduced into, into the body, enables it to effectively reboot the immune system. But, you know, I mean, what we're seeing here is, you know, the naivety of, uh, if you like, and I think David accepts that, you know, he was naive in thinking that the NHS would effectively embrace his project with both arms, come up with the funding to get it properly uh, licensed, um, and uh, and, uh, make a massive difference in terms of the survival rate to cancer in the UK and ultimately worldwide. But, of course, the establishment uses the, you know, quarter of a million deaths or so per year of cancer as part of um, keeping the uh, the population down and also removing people who are no longer able to make a direct contribution to the corporatocracy through work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just going to add a couple of things. One is that uh, if if Lynn is extradited to, to France and is held on remand, as you say, Ian, uh, just to remind people that uh, France is still under what some people would call Napoleonic law, which yep. is, essentially means uh, guilty until proven innocent. So the, she could be kept uh, for, you know, indefinitely, uh, maybe a couple of years at the very least, uh, until they sort of get around to her case, you know, so she's guilty uh, in their eyes, even though she hasn't actually committed any crime. 
uh, in France that anyone can see other than uh, had some affiliated business uh, dealings, but uh, the, pro- the, pro- the product was not uh, manufactured on French soil from what I can gather. It's uh, So anyway, it's not going to receive justice there, and uh, this is just an amazing travesty. And so they're, and they're wanting to uh, extradite David Noakes as well, even after he's been found guilty in the UK prison. Oh yeah, you yeah, know, and I'm I'm damn sure that if when he if he survived whatever the French would have thrown him, then they'd come up with somewhere else, you know, just to literally make sure he never right. gets the opportunity to produce this product. Now, Patrick, you know, the presentation that David and Lynn, well, it was primarily David and, and Lynn obviously was you know very very emotional. It was just the day after she, or a couple of days after she had uh, buried her father. But I have broken with the tradition. Um, of um, you know delaying the release of the AV presentations, and in this case, I have put the presentation of uh, of David and Lynn up on my YouTube channel. So it, it's only been up there literally not even twenty four hours, and I think it's it's already had something like about uh, six or seven thousand views. And I've also underneath the video, I mean, I've I've put um, uh, primarily a. Um, a script that uh, David had put together um, and also put the links to the GC math papers that can be uh, read on PubMed. So, you know, it's, it is a classic case here. We need people to do their own research, but you know, the cancer charities are a total scam because if the cancer charities were in any way interested in really coming up with the, uh, uh, a, a cure or, or an effective treatment, then once again, they would be all over GC math. But the cancer charity scam, which is worth about a billion pounds a year in the UK, is there to effectively protect the pharmaceutical industry and, and make sure that, um, you know, any supposed effective treatment are effectively shut down before they even get close to going into production. So, so what you're saying, uh, Ian, is that uh, people like uh, David Noakes, uh, people like uh, Lynn Tyre, are are presenting problems f- to the pharmaceutical industry or the government for managing the narrative. They're having trouble managing the narrative, basically. So they're going into reactionary mode, is what uh, the state normally does, and it just goes full on aggressive, shut it down, attack, persecute, bludgeon, throw in prison, harass. Uh, as many years as it takes to just completely break uh, the person uh, with with the powers of the state and the corporatocracy behind it. So they can't manage the narrative of health. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I mean, obviously, this is just the thin end of the wedge. In fact, David has contributed to a website called mhracorrupt.st. And, and this uh, website documents the, the crimes of this government agency which is staffed almost entirely by former executives from the pharmaceutical industry so you know i mean these are revolving doors and then after david was sentenced last um uh, july uh, last uh, november sorry and the judge uh, was judge nicholas lorraine smith who i felt was absolutely torn because the mhra were uh, trying to get David jailed for eight years, um, and you know the the judge acknowledged, and I, I quote for you know the judge actually said during the hearing he said 
um, GC Math is not on trial. And he said, I have no doubt that many people have benefited from GC Math. And indeed, I hope that there will be a way in which many people can benefit in the future. Um, but then he went on to say, you know, that this is not a court of morality. It's a court of law. And by making that statement, you know, he was acknowledging that humanity is not relevant in a court of law. The whole purpose of the legal system in the UK is to protect the corporatocracy. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, of course, he didn't have the courage to actually, you know, throw the whole thing out or, or just give David the proverbial, you know, slap on the wrist. He did sentence him to, you know, the jail time. And, uh, you know, th this, but though perhaps, and David has acknowledged, you know, it does perhaps serve to enhance the opportunity to raise awareness. But it's David's time in jail and the persecution that David and Lynn have suffered will have only been worthwhile if people actually pick up the gauntlet, do a bit of research on GCMAF, watch and share this video from their presentation at AV10 last year. And, you know, I mean, I've been, you know, working closely, obviously, with uh, David, um, really ever since uh, AV9, when we knew the trial was, was pending. Um, and so, you know, I've been through the, the mill of emotions with David and Lynn over that period. But, you know, watching that back, I'd be a liar if I didn't say that, you know, it really brought a tear to my eye because you, you can feel David and Lynn's pain in watching this and, and you know when one takes into account that their only crime and i'll use that term so loosely is to have been dedicated to develop a treatment that has already been proven to save lives and would potentially save you know many 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 thousands of lives and you you have to ask you know what on earth have we come to and you know humanity now needs to recover its sovereignty from the uh, the corporation yeah yeah it's uh, the whole thing's inverted uh, as far as as far as i can see and i'm not alone of course many other people have said the same thing where up is down and uh, white is black in this uh, in medical industrial complex which is uh, become very good at uh, basically sucking all the money from people uh, and, and accelerating uh, their death, basically, through some of these uh, outrageous treatments, some of them, and they cost an arm and a leg, literally, and uh, will bankrupt whole families, uh, suck all the inheritance from parents that they might hand down to the next generation, and it goes into the pockets of the medical-industrial complex, basically, uh, and... I'm afraid that uh, this is a well-documented problem right now. So we, this is a horrific story, Ian. Uh, we're going to encourage people to check out the video to David's presentation and, and Lynn's address, which is linked on our show page. Uh, we'll also be talking about this uh, on the UK Column News tomorrow, uh, which will be broadcast at 1 p.m. UK time, live at ukcom.org. Uh, and also on YouTube and Facebook. Um, but there's also some good news, Ian. Uh, you attended another court uh, hearing uh, just a few days ago uh, for another important issue that is health-related as well uh, to do with 5G. Tell us what happened there. Yeah, this was Mark Steele, who was also a, a presenter well, at both AV9 and 10. And uh, as you say, it's a, a very pertinent issue. Mark Steele has been very much on point in raising awareness of the threat and uh, uh, health risks associated with 
the rollout of 5G and also the um, uh, rollout of LED streetlights, particularly LED streetlights without any uh, filtration of the blue light frequencies. And um, Mark has been addressing these issues directly with his local authority, Gateshead Metropolitan Borough Council. And um, uh, he gave a presentation to the full council back in November of 2017. Uh, but they didn't react. It was like, no, 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 not a problem here. You know, we're going to ignore you. Well, Mark didn't give up. Mark kept asking them the direct questions. They refused to answer. And in the end, they took out an injunction against him. And um, uh, although they tried to gag him in his entirety. The judge in the original hearing said that, yeah, I'm not going to gag Mark, but I am going to ask him to behave himself and act with an appropriate degree of uh, decorum. Well, um, subsequently, Mark actually wrote two emails and had one phone conversation with the uh, council's uh, resident solicitor. Uh, and as a result of that, the council tried to seek to jail Mark for breach of the injunction. And the hearing ran to uh, two days plus. Uh, the first day was Gateshead Council giving their evidence. And that was the day before um, AV10 started. And then Mark was back in court in Newcastle on Thursday. And this was the time for him to give his evidence and also to be cross-examined. And it was a full day. And there were six claims that Mark had breached the injunction. Um, uh, anyway, cut a long story short, the judge ruled that three of those claims were fatuous and, uh, you know, they, they certainly would not be upheld. But there was a tenuous element to the other three claims. And, and this was really just related to the sort of phraseology that Mark was using and it was perhaps just a little bit too Geordie forthright for, um, for uh, the council. I mean, it seems the Gateshead Council is staffed uh, by a bunch of snowflakes who, you know, the moment they're asked hard questions, they're all offended. But anyway, um, the judge made it clear that despite ruling that there was these tenuous breaches to free of the claim, he was certainly not minded to give Mark a jail sentence. Well, that proved to be an understatement because he ended up giving Mark a £250 fine for the three breaches. But that, that wasn't the kicker. The kicker came in the next sentence. The judge paused for breath, probably for effect, and then said, suspended for two years. So basically, Mark got a slap on the wrist. And, um, you know, once again, the judge refused to in any way gag Mark, but once again, just reiterated what, uh, Judge Nolan had said in the first hearing that Mark should, you know, just conduct himself with appropriate uh, decorum. But it got better because then Gateshead Council tried to seek £3,100 in legal costs against Mark. And, uh, you know, the judge didn't quite say it, but I'll paraphrase. And he might as well have said, you know, good luck with that. Well, what he actually said was, well, look, I've, I've just suspended a fine on the basis that I'm not even sure he can afford to pay it. Um, and I'm certainly not going to award costs that he can't afford to pay. So basically, Mark walks free and the judge has sanctioned, effectively given sanction to Mark continuing his campaign to raise awareness of the dangers of 5G and um, LED street lighting. And this is a campaign 
that is gaining strength, not just in the UK, but all around the world. I mean, particularly in, in California. I mean, it seems that, you know, locations are either on top of it or know nothing. Um, it, it almost seems like there's nothing in between. But, you know, 5G is potentially the greatest existential threat that uh, humanity has uh, been faced with for, you know, quite some time. And this is being rolled out worldwide. And, of course, it's, it's primarily to facilitate the Internet of Things, autonomous vehicles, uh, and it's operating at a uh, frequencies um, uh, in the microwave range that are also used for battlefield interrogation. And so what we're seeing is an untried, untested battlefield technology being rolled out on a civilian population, which uh, at a Senate hearing on February the 6th of this year, Senator Blumenthal, uh, I think he's from Connecticut, challenged the uh, industry, the telecoms industry, and this is actually from a follow-up hearing, so he gave them, due, he gave them chance from a, an earlier hearing in December of last year to come up with the evidence of independent reports which proved the 5G frequencies to be safe. And uh, in the subsequent hearing on February the 6th, the industry admitted that they not only couldn't produce any industry reports or even independent reports that um, uh, claimed 5G to be safe. And uh, so, you know, this is something that people really, really need to, to get on top of because, you know, the frequencies are carcinogenic. So it comes back to the discussion we've just been having that, um, you know, David and Lynn were developing a, a, an extremely effective cancer treatment and uh, now the establishment has not only shut that down, but they're rolling out a technology that is proven to be carcinogenic and cause cancer. There's two things I find interesting that are missing here, Ian. Uh, one is, of course, any kind of mainstream media discussion on this. They just want to highlight the uh, security risks of Huawei. And let's yep. not discuss the uh, broader issue of, of whether we should have, whether we're wise to be rolling out 5G in the first place or not. The other thing that's missing is the precautionary principle, which government in general is shoving down our throats, saying we can't do X, Y, and Z because uh, there's a possibility it would be dangerous, and therefore, for for the sake of the general population, we've got to not do it. You know, uh, so we have it's an incredible situation that we have. Uh, this this is probably the first time that I'm aware of, I've mentioned this to you before Ian, the, the first time that I'm aware of that the British uh, the British government, US government, governments worldwide are actually uh, supporting the industry to roll out this new technology in the past they fleeced them uh, for billions of pounds, dollars, whatever for 3G licenses, 4G licenses, this time they're right behind them because uh, as, the, as the Huawei story is, is uh, highlighting um, they actually want this rolled out for military purposes, because they want to, they want to not only use it for civilian use. Oh, absolutely! And, and you know, Mark Steele um, has had his detractors over the past year plus, and those detractors, you know, kept claiming that you know five G wasn't rolled out in Gateshead, and the technology that was being rolled out had nothing at all to do with um, uh, data gathering. Well, you know, Mark put that to bed in his uh, AV-10 presentation, dem uh, uh, using um, Harvard Technologies, which was the British company that produced the LeafNut device that's been installed on the top of these LED, you know, 35,000, I think it is, 35,000 plus LED streetlights have been installed around the Gateshead Borough 
uh, with these leaf nut devices on top of them. And, uh, you know, the documentation that um, uh, Harvard Technologies put out in a director's report in 2017, I believe it was, states that this technology is used for data gathering, for multiple point data gathering. And so, you know, this uh, this would tap into the smart meters. It would snap, snap, tap into all the smart products in your property. It would tap into all of the, well, every single product you purchase that has a chip embedded in it, you know, thus the Internet of Things. Um, and, uh, you know, so Mark has proven that this is the case. Now, what's interesting, of course, is that Harvard Technologies went bankrupt uh, in December. And so the company went into administration, which means that, you know, 35,000 of these devices are installed. But now the manufacturer has no liability because the manufacturer is is defunct. You know, it, it, it's gone the British equivalent of Chapter 11. So, um, you know, there, there are way more levels to this than most people are aware of. But uh, you're absolutely right, Mark. It is a military-grade technology rolled out on a civilian population for military purposes, such as mass surveillance. And, it, and you know, these devices individually, I mean, this is the thing, individually, they're, um, you know, relatively benign. But when they are rolled out as a network, i.e. on the top of 35,870-odd um, lampposts, then that is a phenomenal data-gathering, phased array um, uh, technology. In, in most businesses in the UK, uh, you can't even move a table without filling out a risk assessment form, okay? Sure. The health and safety culture that sort of blew up and mushroomed and just became almost like a joke uh, over the last 30 years. Uh, well, we can't do that. You know, you got to fill out a risk assessment, uh, health and safety, uh, Bring the ins- wait for the inspector to come. We got to do a risk assessment. Where's the risk assessment on this technology, and where's the health and safety considered? Well, yeah. And actually, what they're doing is they're rolling out deliberately without that. And in fact, um, the rollout of this technology has been classified as a national infrastructure project. Um, and, and consequently, local authorities actually do not even get a say in the siting of these uh, 5G phone masks. And, and the um, phone masts up to 75 feet in height in urban areas, 85 feet high in rural areas, are permitted development, which means that as soon as the telecoms company has access to a piece of land, they, they simply advise the council that they're putting a mast up, and the council has no uh, process that it can bring to bear to stop them. And this is how the councils are getting around the precautionary principle and getting around their own responsibilities, which are clearly defined in their constitution. Every local authority in the UK has a written constitution, and it is a legally binding constitution. Now, the one for Gateshead runs for about 286 pages, and in that document, it clearly lays out in the executive branch, i.e. the officer level of the council, who has responsibility for health and safety, who has the responsibility for risk assessment. And it rolls out there, who, you know, what the responsibilities of the elected councillors are. And you ridden roughshod over because it's being rolled out as a significant national infrastructure project. So ultimately, uh, you know, the risk is that um, this is rolled out and, and nobody is aware of it until they start uh, realising that there's children that are suffering 
uh, an excess of nosebleeds, there's a, a massive increase in insomnia. And in Gateshead, you know, Public Health England's own statistics show that there have been an increase in deaths from a multiple from multiple things, including cancer and strokes. But coincidentally, this increase, this turnaround, because deaths were dropping off, but this increase in mortality has occurred since the rollout of 5G. Now, you know, obviously at the moment it's argued that that's purely anecdotal, but, um, you know, the government will never initiate an investigation, just like they never initiated any investigation into the suicides in uh, Bridge End in Wales over a decade ago, and they won't initiate any kind of investigation into the suicide, the spate of suicides at Bristol University over the past uh, two years or so. Um, and coincidentally, Bristol University was a university that was uh, involved very much in the testing of uh, 5G. So, you know, the, the thinking being that if you don't hold an investigation, then, you know, you don't find anything out and therefore you don't actually have to admit anything. Well, there's 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 certainly more more than meets the eye uh, with this story than has been reported uh, in the mainstream media. Ian has given us uh, just a little glimpse, a little taste of into this subject. By the way, Ian gave a fantastic uh, closing presentation on this very topic, 5G, at the end of the AV10 conference. Uh, I would uh, argue that uh, Ian might uh, be in the public interest to also release that presentation as well because it had an impact on me. I certainly did not see the full scope until I saw all their own uh, presentations, their own videos, their own explanation of their technology to see exactly what what is being rolled out there. So uh, we're going to have to drop it uh, at this point, but we're hopefully going to pick up this thread uh, with with Ian and with others uh, in the future programs and certainly on the UK column this week. Uh, we'll probably be talking about this issue as well. Uh, it made a big impact at uh, AV10 this year. And it's going to do so uh, going uh, ahead in the future. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Ian, for your work on this. And I will say one last question in 30 seconds, Ian. I know, that, I know that's going to put you very in a very tight corner. But would Mark David Steele have uh, received the favorable result that he did if not for the public support and also your uh, assistance as well uh, in supporting him on the legal side? In other words, without the community support, would he have received such a favorable result? Absolutely not. I mean, I think this is something that people absolutely need to recognize that um, packing a courtroom uh, is, is so important. Holding the judiciary to scrutiny. Um, and I think that uh, it has certainly uh, benefited Mark in Gateshead. But, uh, and, of course, it forced Judge Supperstone uh, to defer his ruling so that he could make it in the in the quietness of time and just send the uh, ruling by email to Lynn, because had he made that decision in court, there would have been uproar. Um, and, and as far as I'm concerned, you know, if the judiciary wants respect, it needs to earn it. And uh, rulings such as the ruling made by Judge Michael Supperstone do not uh, engender respect for uh, the judiciary. And all it does is highlight the fact that they are indeed, or many of the people, unfortunately, who act as judges, are simply whores to the corporatocracy. 
So that's the, uh, the the lesson there, ladies and gentlemen, is is to uh, support people who are uh, under pressure, who are uh, in some cases being persecuted for really just bringing important information to the public light. Do support them in, in their legal trials and travails, as uh, Ian and so many others have done uh, in these cases, because uh, in the end, that's where uh, it's going to help get the result, I think, that uh, the people who are uh, under the pressure deserve uh, at the end. So thank you again, Ian. Ian R. Crane, uh, appreciate your, your work and dedication in this area. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Mike. See you guys soon. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Ian R. Crane. Uh, you can also watch his program, Humanity versus Insanity. Uh, this is available online on YouTube and it's also uh, broadcast over our various channels, uh, UK Column as well and also check out his youtube channel we've linked to david noakes's presentation on our show page right now but also uh, a little piece uh, with uh, mark david Steele and ian uh, after the uh, successful result a couple of days ago uh, with his hearing on the 5g activism so go check that out if you are able to after the show we're going to take a short break and we're going to connect uh, for the final segment of overdrive our uh, roving correspondent for culture and sport, Basil Valentine is going to join us on the other side. This is the Sunday Wire. I am your host, Patrick Kenningson, here with Mike Robinson in studio. We'll be right back after these messages. And one of the things that I've used on the Google is uh, to pull up maps. into the Sunday Wire, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. UK, live only on ACR and 21stCenturyWire.com. 